A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill. Plus, take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed and together we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hello, friends and neighbors. Happy New Year and welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. We're doing something different to get this year started. We're going to have a different theme for the next couple of months for January 2021. Our theme is Hope Through Laughter. We're featuring amazing and funny men and women of God to tell their stories, share some laughs, and share the hope of Jesus, no matter what the world throws at us. But before we jump in, let's get on to our Devotions with Dave segment. We're going to read from Proverbs 17.22, a very fitting passage for this series. Proverbs 17.22 of the NLT, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And when we have a cheerful heart, it reflects on us in the form of a smile, and sometimes it even overflows into laughter. A cheerful heart, a heart of joy and love and laughter, it's good medicine. It lifts us up. It lifts those around us up. Laughter is truly a gift from God's hand. Study after study shows how beneficial laughter is for our bodies and for our minds. And for the Christian, we also know that if it's that good for our bodies and minds, it can also be just as good for our souls, especially when the laughter is pure and clean and it's not vindictive or abusing the gift of laughter, which so many do in our world today. But laughter truly does. It releases stress. It eases anxiety. It lowers blood pressure, relaxes tense muscles releases endorphins in the body. It is literally good medicine. And as we start this year, I want to encourage you, keep your eyes on what brings you joy. Keep your eyes on Jesus, on the Father, on the power of the Holy Spirit, on the blessings, and not the possessions, uh, not the money necessarily that He has given, He has provided, but on the blessings that you can't quantify, the love in your life, the family you have, the friends that surround you, the freedom from those things that bogged you down before Christ had freed you. Look at those blessings and let your heart's joy overflow, even to laughter. The Bible also tells us to delight in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Delight. We don't use that word very much unless we're quoting this verse. When is the last time you took a moment and just delighted in the goodness and the love and mercy of our Lord, our God? Can't remember? 
Can you honestly say that you ever have? But whether you have or not, take a moment. Be intentional. Go and seek that. Delight in the Lord. Find that joy. Find that overflowing joy that can turn into laughter. Laughter is truly a gift from God. And I often cite this quote, and I think it has such value. Michael Jr., he's a phenomenal comedian and uh, now breaking into acting. He gave an interview where he said, Laughter is the tangible evidence of hope. I love that quote. I love that God gave us this gift. And I pray that you will find those moments to laugh, to release the tensions and burdens, and reveal that tangible evidence that you have a hope that will never be shaken and it will never be destroyed because your hope is rooted in Jesus. So I hope that verse speaks to you as we get out of what has undoubtedly been a trying year in 2020. I know that uh, many of us have experienced some really great things that came out of 2020, but I also know that it was a very challenging year, uh, mentally, financially, physically, emotionally. So just remember, find your joy in Jesus. And remember that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Proverbs 17, 22. And that was today's Devotions with Dave segment. So let's get on to our conversation. As many of you know, Gifts of Glory Ministries has an improv comedy ministry team, Well-Versed Comedy. And on a whim, we asked for permission to open for our guest at a show last February. Uh, we were accepted, and it was our biggest crowd to date, and it was the biggest blessing of my personal career, and it was also the biggest opportunity for our team, Well-Versed Comedy. Uh, it was just a chance to share the joy, the light, and the laughter that, that God has given us. And it was truly a blessing to share the stage with this uh, well-known, internationally known comedian. Uh, he's all over the place. He's got his own podcast. It's called Hook, Line, and Smiley, which is co-hosted by his wife, Sarah. And the two of them just recently celebrated their second anniversary. So happy anniversary to uh, to Bob and Sarah two years going strong. Uh, He is also the author of Average Boy, which is a book for uh, uh, kids, and that's produced by Focus on the Family. He's also got the Average Boy podcast. All that information is in our show notes on how you can link to that. Uh, He's been a comedian for over 23 years. Uh, He's also got a dry bar special. So uh, for those of you that have the dry bar app on your phone, be sure to check out Tartar Terrorist. Uh, in your dry bar app, incredibly funny special by an incredibly funny man. Uh, he's got a great testimony. In fact, he's got two testimonies. Uh, we're going to talk about comedy, about faith, and talk about the darkest moments of his life and the life of his three boys as uh, they went through a very, very painful and dark period, but how God got him through it and how God is redeeming all that lost time uh, currently through uh, through his new blended family. So I'm truly excited to share this conversation with you. And for those of you that aren't aware of this man, I hope that uh, you'll find him on social media. You'll check out his drive bar special and support him in any way you can. He's incredibly funny. He's incredibly gifted. And he's uh, even more than that, he's a wonderful man of God. And I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Bob Smiley on the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. But I was very excited because I do. I love God did create comedy. Pastor David is so right. Like I actually read an article one time that laughter is 10 times more powerful 
than morphine, than our strongest drug, and God just gave that to us for free. Like, how cool, is, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm glad God still made morphine. Um, <laughs> let's be honest, if I break my leg in half, I don't want my doctor standing over me going, knock, knock, you know, right? <laughs> We are now joined by a world-renowned comedian, amazing funny guy. He's also an author. He uh, works on uh, Focus on the Family's Average Boy. Uh, you want to make sure to pick that up as well, especially if you have kids uh, or if you're just really uh, looking for something fun to do. Bob Smiley, welcome to the Gifts of Glory podcast. So all that stuff that we said before is not on the show. Like I've never bared my soul like that. And I don't know where that song came from, that hymn. But like I, and, and I rarely cry like that, but so none of that's going to be on here. Like, no. we're just, oh, okay. Um, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's another huge favor that, that you've done for me because last February, right before the world ended, my comedy team was able to open for you in Tinley Park, Illinois. And yeah. uh, that was a, a huge blessing to uh, share some time with you there and uh, to do it again here to open up the new year, which will hopefully be a lot better. It's uh, it's an honor to have you and uh, to uh, be able to uh, share some time with you. Yeah, I love doing stand-up, but it, it gets really fun when you have somebody else there that's that's kind of a band of brothers mm -hmm. uh, where you're doing, you know, you're doing stand-up or, doing, you know, making people laugh or, you know, anything that is kind of, you have a, a commonality. Uh, with one another and and so yeah that was that was a fun night that was really cool is that what you told me to say i forgot i, I can't find the notes yeah that that, that was actually uh, very close i, I was okay. uh, i was actually glad you didn't look at the old note which said that something about we set the bar so low it made your show better <laughs> yeah i remember you guys getting off stage and me coming out and saying uh yeah now let me show you how it's supposed to be done uh, no, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. <laughs> so, Bob, as I was preparing for the new year, I wanted to have you on and hope to, and I'm kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit on podcasting. I wanted to record with you before the holidays took off. So we were going to record actually in early November, but you had a little bit of a scare. So tell us, how's the jaw healing? Uh, is there any scarring? Uh, can you update us on the surgery? Totally healed. Um, yeah, I had... Uh, Something you don't really hear about uh, very much uh, called cancer. And yeah. um, it was, uh, I'm a redhead. So if I don't put mayonnaise on my body before <laughs> I go outside, like I just like, I quickly do an impression of a blood blister. Oh. And so, <laughs> I, so I had something on my nose about seven years ago and it just never would heal. And so I went to a dermatologist and they were like, yeah, we think it's skin cancer. And they were like, we'll just, We'll just chop it off. Like it's, it, like, it's just like moving a little bit of skin. Um, you'll be fine. And I was like, oh, okay. So like I'm a comedian, and, uh, which was insulting that I even had to tell him. He should have known. You know, right. he, looked like he had been around for a while. And <laughs> that sounds so <laughs> cocky, but that's what popped in my brain. But he, uh, I was like, yeah, so it's no big deal. And it was like, yeah, we put a little, uh, little patch on it, and then you're good to go. So I was getting ready to leave uh, tour with Tim Hawkins, this up and coming uh, comedian guy. Yeah. And so I went in, I had surgery the day before I left for tour and we were doing, I think like five or six shows in a row. And they came in, first of all, it took like four hours and I got out and they had, they had cut all of my nose and they had, they had placed the only way I can make pe people understand what I, what it looked like is like I had a sleeping bag attached to the side of my face like this, oh, huge, man. this huge bandage and i had to drive myself home 
we'll probably get to that later, but I didn't have a lot of support at the time. Yeah. And uh, so I, uh, so I had this huge sleeping bag and I drove myself home. I had to fly out the next day. It was terrible. So I ended up cutting all the bandage off and I kind of messed the stitches up. So I have a little scar on my nose that I wasn't supposed to have. And uh, I went out. It was kind of cool though, because I, I tweeted about it and people showed up at the shows because I said, Hey guys, I'm going to have, and I, I took a photo and I was like, I'm going to have a bandaid across my face. Cause I had to have something over it. Cause it looked, you know, very Frankenstein because <laughs> they had taken skin from the back of my neck and put it on my nose. That's a great, like modern medicine, surgeries, all that is great mm. if you make sure and get below your neckline. But this guy didn't. He, uh, he cut the back like where I have hair follicles. Mm -hmm. So I now have skin grafted to my nose that will grow hair out. So if I don't stay on it, <laughs> like I'll have these like four little strands of, of hairs <laughs> going, well, we like the front for you. You know, we've seen the back view forever and now this is, <laughs> this is new angle. And so I have to like stay out of that. But anyway, how did I, Oh, because you asked about my surgery. Yeah. yeah. So then I was free and clear for a while. Oh, and people showed up at the shows with band-aids over their nose. Nice. So <laughs> cool. Cause I was very self-conscious. I felt like I was back in high school and, and you know, everybody was going to make fun of me and already Tim wouldn't let me sit at the cool table during lunch. And so, you know, <laughs> I was already dealing with that. And then now I've got a band-aid across my face. Like fans showed up with band-aids across their face and they called themselves the, the Bob Band-Aid Brigade. Nice. That's cool. But okay, fast forward. Yeah, right before I was supposed to do this interview with you, I noticed there was this place on the like right under my ear on my jawline. And I was like, ah, oh. and my wife was like, You've got to go get it checked out because you have history and I've never done well in history. So I thought I'll just, you know, take her. Yeah. Uh, word for it and so i went and sure enough it was canceled so they had to cut it off well they scheduled it pretty quickly because mm -hmm. uh, covid they're just looking to cut anybody like i guess they're bored right and so they were like yeah come on in or you can drop by the house or you know i'll be at taco bell at eight you know whatever and so i went and they they cut it out and i was supposed to do that interview with you that that afternoon and i was like there is no way and they ended up cutting quite a bit but they did a great job you can't even really see a scar I know my jawline is so chiseled that it's hard to see anything but that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. But for those that maybe don't know, which is probably two people out of the, the 30 that might listen, Bob is an incredible comedian. He's been around about 20 years or how long have you? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm shocked. I didn't know you were up to 30 now. Like that is, that's amazing, man. I'm so proud of you, Dave. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I, somebody asked me that the other day and I, I used to keep track. I know it's over 20 years. I think it's 23 years that I've been doing stand-up. I started in, actually, if, if people like math, like my wife, uh, it, I started in 97. So whatever that is. So yeah, that would be 23 years or 22, given the, the failure of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> 22 good years, uh, tw 23 years total. So uh, for those that, that haven't heard the story, uh, how did you get into doing stand-up comedy? Okay, so I grew up in a, a very, very awesome family. My mom and dad were very hands-on, just great childhood, which is usually not how comedians' stories start. Like, you, usually comedians come from, like, pain or, you know, addictions or, you know, darkness, and then that's why they, they, they have to get on stage because they need that extra little hug that the audience gives them. But I had a great childhood. My dad was super funny. Uh, he he was the school superintendent at my school. 
And so every once in a while he would come and have lunch with me and everybody, you know, talk about sitting at the cool table. Everybody wanted to sit at our table because my dad and I would just sit and just joke. Like we would just talk about what happened that morning or what happened in the weekend. And everybody would congregate around to hear us just be funny. So I've always loved humor. My dad would let me stay up and watch the uh, Tonight Show. If there was a comedian on, he'd let me stay up. I could watch Johnny's monologue and then uh, I had to go to bed, but he would let me stay up and watch a comedian. If they were on, always loved it. Never thought I'd do it. Never wanted to get on stage. Wasn't a dream of mine. I went to college, was going to be a teacher. I was going to kind of follow my dad's footsteps. I was going to be a teacher and then a principal and the superintendent. My junior year, they had a stand-up competition. They were having high school weekend, and they wanted to have all these like crazy cool events. Like, hey, look at us. We're fun. Uh, you know, we've got a comedy club. And so they had a stand-up competition, which is basically just, you know, anybody that was going to college could sign up. And I didn't even sign up. Actually, the lady was putting it on, called me the night before and asked me why I didn't do it. And because when they came up with the idea, evidently they, they said, well, Smiley will do it. And then I had a friend named Mark who was really funny. And so they thought w we would do it, but we didn't. Neither one of us signed up. And so <laughs> the comedians they had were not going to be very good. So they're kind of panicking. And so the lady called me the night before and was like, hey, will you, you know, actually what she told me, she said, we know how frugal you are because I was, I was pretty famous on campus for two things. One, I really was kind of the funny guy. And then two, I was very, very cheap, like very, you know, like uh, eat cereal with a fork to save on milk, you know, yeah. kind of cheap. <laughs> and so I would, uh, so she said, we know how frugal you are, which I thought was nice instead of saying cheap. And she said, we thought that the cash prize would have definitely enticed you. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on, what? And come to find out there was a cash prize that I didn't even know about. So I signed up, I did the stand-up competition. I won, not because I was good, but everybody else was terrible. And I, I won some money and I thought, what a great experience. So fast forward, graduate, gonna be a teacher. Before I became a teacher, I wanted to see what it was like to make money though. And mm -hmm. so I was working as a photographer and was gonna do that for a while and then start teaching. Uh, you know, kind of get debt free and get a little nest egg and that kind of stuff. And this guy, I was actually driving in Dallas and I was doing photography. This is going to tell everybody how old I am, but my pager went off and yeah, I know it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> and so I, I, I looked at the number. It was, it was area code 615, which I didn't know what that was. I, now I know it's Nashville, but at the time I didn't. And so I thought it was somebody calling about doing, you know, me doing photography for their company or something. So I pull over to a Cracker Barrel payphone and I call this number and this guy's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I used to go to school with you and uh, I'm living in Nashville. I'm road managing this guy named Clay Cross. We're about to leave for tour. And Clay said it'd be fun to have a comedian come out and, you know, keep the crowd entertained in between the uh, musical acts. And he said, I saw you do that stand up competition in college and I thought you were good and I thought you were clean. Um, so do you want to go on tour with us? And <laughs> I'm standing at a Cracker Barrel payphone, and I was so flippant. Like I had no idea it was about to change my life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, how long's the tour? And he was like, I was like six, it kind of threw me. He's like six weeks, uh, but it may go to eight. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds fun. Like I was so just, nonchalant, not realizing like it was going to alter my entire life. And so I hung up, I booked a one-way flight 
on Southwest Airlines, not a sponsor, uh, to Nashville, got off a plane, walked onto a tour bus, and went out as a comedian, standing in front of like 800 to 1,200 people at night on the Clay Cross tour. And Clay was really gracious and like encouraged me and, you know, wanted me to, uh, you know, pursue it. In fact, when that tour ended, because they couldn't pay me to do comedy, but they really wanted a comedian, mm-hmm. but they didn't have it in the budget. And so they hired me to do merchandise so that I would get paid. And then, but really they were, they were bringing me out to do standup. And so Clay actually, uh, we became really good friends and, and he asked me to stay on and do his summer dates. Uh, and so I stayed on and did, did that, uh, you know, had a good solid, it sounds like I'm bragging, but I had a good solid, like three minutes of stuff. And, uh, the newsboys saw me mm. and they were like, Hey, we're leaving for tour in the fall. Do you want to, you want to go on tour with us? And again, I grew up this little country kid in Texas. And so I never listened to any music, much less we didn't have Christian music available. You know, we had it. Christian music to me was what we sang every Sunday at our church. That was Christian music. Yeah. I didn't know there was an industry. I didn't know about anything. You know, I'd heard Amy Grant and that she was just a really nice person, but I had, you know, uh, no idea about any of it. So I didn't know who the newsboys were. And I was like, again, okay, that sounds good. But, you know, eventually I got to get back to Texas because I'm going to be a teacher. And so (laughs) I went out on the newsboys tour and that was called the Take Me to Your Leader tour which turned out to be the number one tour in Christian music that year. Wow. And so now I'm standing in front of like four to 6,000 people a night trying to be a comedian, you know, with no, you know, I was, I'd written a lot of stuff by then, but you know, it's still, you just, I think it was Billy Crystal said, you know, the first couple of years of stand up, you feel like you're an imposter and the, the comedy police are going to come arrest you on stage for being an imposter. And so, yeah, for a long time, I felt like that. Like it was, it was really bad trying to figure out how to, you know, how to do it because you don't start like that. You're supposed to start out in the clubs doing three minute open mic nights or wherever you can get a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, and on the clay cross tour, they had bought these moving lights that kept breaking. And so from almost the second night on, the lights would break or something would go wrong and they'd be like, Bob, go up there and stall for 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> and I had my little tight set that I'd done at that stand-up competition and I'd add, you know, I'd added to it and stuff. But honestly, I had about 10 minutes of really good stuff. And there were nights where I was on stage for like 40 minutes when just mm. trying. So that's how I learned, not in an open mic comedy club or anything like that. I learned standing on the stage, trying to keep people entertained who really wanted to see Clay Cross and not me. And so it was kind of baptism by fire. Yeah, that's uh, d- definitely a, uh, a hard learning environment because you're on tour, you're away from home. There's a lot more pressure to deliver, whereas somebody growing up in a club or coming up in a club, you know, three minutes, if your three minutes is horrible, it's only three minutes. You're not, yeah. you're not stranded. You're not going to get fired. And yeah, you're not on a tour with right. five more weeks left of the tour. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was pretty gutsy. My parents were really encouraging. Uh, in fact, I did that tour. And then when I got the offer to do the Newsboys tour, I came back home and I, you know, my parents had always been so encouraging about and, and liked that I had a goal in mind and a life, you know, plan. And I got home and I was really nervous about telling them like, I'm going to move to Nashville and I'm going to do this Newsboys tour. 
because people keep telling me I could make it as a comedian. And I, in my speech to them, I, I reassured them like the second it doesn't work out, I'm coming home. I'm, I'm going to use my degree. I'm going to get, you know, and my dad was like, Hey, do what you love. Go for it. You know, like they were, you know, my mom and dad were just very, very encouraging. And so, yeah, I moved to Nashville full time uh, during that. So I guess that was, uh, that was 90, that was 97 as well. So I, I guess I started in 96. Okay. Like the begin, the end of 96 and then uh, going into 97 is when I did that Newsboy tour. And uh, yeah, it, you know, people kept hiring me. That's awesome. So let's go back a little bit and hear about uh, you gr- growing up. Um, uh, you grew up in a really good home. Uh, was it a uh, Christian home or? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. or okay. And so when did it go from being just growing up in a Christian home to Bob Smiley has accepted Jesus for himself? How did that happen? Pretty early on. Uh, one of the things my parents did very well, um, and I'm not saying this is how you should do this with every kid. In fact, we have some kids in our house right now that, that this would not work on. But they knew I was very strong-willed and, you know, like very kind of make up my own mind. So they didn't really force faith on me. They wanted it to be my own faith. They wanted it to be my own relationship with Jesus. So I was required to go to church. You know, I was required to be involved in the youth group, I, you know. Uh, but outside of that, they didn't really, you know, we weren't work, waking up and having long Bible studies every morning or, or, you know, they weren't like, I hate to use this word, but they, this is how I think people would view it. They weren't forcing it down my throat. They were, pre- they were presenting it like, this is what we believe. This is, we've seen, you know, God, like we, we've felt him, we've, you know, uh, we've dedicated our life uh, to Jesus Christ. So this is what we're passionate about. We want you to have the same passion, but we want it to be your own passion. So they, you know, I was required to go to church, but they really didn't force anything on me. But because I respected my parents so much, it was kind of an easy transition. You know, I was like, well, if they believe this, then, you know, and I respect them and and think they're very, very intelligent people, then I want to know about this. I want to look into this. And so that's, I, I kind of started, I guess, my own path not realizing they really had guided me on that path. Uh, but I started really seeking out a relationship with Christ and, and being a Christian. And, you know, the, I went to a very, very small school. I had 17 my graduating class. Wow. Um, I know that because my girlfriend uh, was ranked 17th in our senior year <laughs> because we, they passed our numbers out in English class. And I'd never counted how many people were in my class before. And I was like, I shouldn't use her name. Um, <laughs> I'll make up a name. Okay. Um, although now I really want to use the real name. <laughs> I'll make up a name. We'll call her Amy. Um, it was really Amy. Um, but I was like, I was like, I think I was eighth in class, or I was right in the middle. And I was like, Amy, what'd you get? And she, and she was like, seventeen. And I was like, oh. And then I had that awkward moment where I was trying to count how many kids we had in our class, <laughs> knowing that she had to be close to the bottom, but she was at the bottom of the class. She skipped school a lot. She, she was building a testimony during that time. Okay. Let's just say that. So, um, but yeah, so we had 17, so very, very small school and not a lot of Christian kids. You mm. know, there was kind of, so I've always kind of gone against the grain anyway. Uh, so it was really kind of easy to be, 
the Christian kid in school because I was already different in so many other ways uh, that, you know, people just kind of accepted, you know, oh, he's funny. He's kind of weird. He perceives things differently. He loves Jesus. Like, you know, like, of course, I was going to go against what a lot of kids in the school thought. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of my my childhood. So at what point uh, it it sounds kind of like you you grew into it. Was there like a moment where you're like, wow, I truly believe, you know, Christ is real. Christ is really my savior. Was there a moment or is it more just a, a gradual process? It was a gradual process. I did have some of those, like, uh, I, I've got a friend named Matthew West who uh, mm-hmm. is a guitar player. Yeah. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he has these, he calls it a blue couch moment where like all of a sudden he just gives his life to Jesus and stuff. I kind of felt like, without some big, huge proclamation, I felt like I was always kind of giving my life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, I was a troublemaker and I was, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I was this great kid or or anything. Like, like I have a great relationship with my dad. And I think a lot of that was built on the fact that he was a superintendent. So I was in the office quite (laughs) a bit, Um, especially because it was a small school. And if you get bored, you're going to do stuff, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I wasn't a perfect kid, but I just kind of always just, you know, didn't want to do anything too bad or, you know, I had a great strong moral compass and all that, uh, was baptized, you know, uh, 13 and, uh, I did kind of have a really right before I went out off to college. So we lived way out in the country and I was, we had a little hot tub outside. We were poor, so I found out later it was like a plastic tub um, <laughs> that, and the Texas heat would just heat it during the day. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we had a hot tub and uh, sitting outside in that. And uh, man, the stars, I don't know if you've been out in the country when the yeah. sky is totally clear and the stars were out. And I started feeling like very insignificant, like very, very insignificant because I was looking at this vast open sky and then just, you know, like here out of the country, you're hearing, you know, creatures in, in the night in the woods and armadillos running through the yard. And, and I was like, man, you know, I just I'm, I'm the small town kid who's going to try to go out, you know, go off to a college. And I was feeling very insignificant. And I, I truly felt that night uh, the Lord kind of whisper in the in the in the breeze, in the quiet, you know, which in the Bible, he does that a lot of like, no, I've got a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And so that was kind of a big moment where I've, I felt very, very close to God. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, got out of the hot tub and went inside, which was awkward. My parents were having a church party, so I looked really weird going in in my Speedo. But, you know, I, I wanted to share the news with them. And, um, yeah, so, so it, was, it was more of a if, – if you want a, a car term, like it was just a gradual on the pedal thing it wasn't like a quick you know racing start or anything like that yeah and I, even though i live in chicago now i grew up in uh, uh virginia and west virginia so i know those nights where it's like there's no light pollution you just see the stars uh you hear you know the the wolves or whatever in the woods and uh yeah so it's very easy if you take those moments to realize wow i am pretty insignificant and then to know that God still knows you by name and has a plan for you, that can be such a huge revelation. And uh, it's sometimes it takes forever to really appreciate that. You want to know my favorite 
father moment ever. I think it's my favorite father moment ever above my kids being born, Mm -hmm. anything. I took Trent, uh, that's whose room I'm in right now. And you can see all the deer horns and all this stuff. Um, I took Trent to, uh, East Texas and I had traded a free show, uh, for this church in exchange for them letting me hunt. Um, because mm. I, I just moved back to Texas, didn't have a place to hunt. And so I, I kind of put, I was writing uh, humor articles for the, for this uh, Christian hunting mag- magazine. And so somebody reached out to me and I was like, Hey, I'll do a free show if you'll give me a place to hunt. And so they did. And they had this little like small camper, uh, you know, on two wheels kind of deal, uh, just parked out in the middle of the woods. They drive us out there uh, the night before and we, we get in the camper and I think he was like four or five years old, Trent was. And we get up at 5.15 the next morning and it snowed, which is crazy for Texas. Like it very mm-hmm. rarely snows. So we wake up and it's, it's snowing. And when I walk outside and Trent's getting out of the, the camper. He's, you know, kind of waking up and everything. My favorite father moment ever is he stepped out of the camper and it was, he grew up in the city, you know, and grew up, you know, he's probably four or five, but you know, he had, he had not been up that late at night or that early in the morning. And it's, you know, city lights and all that. He had never been way out in the country to see the stars and how bright they were. Mm. And even though it was snowing, it was a clear, like there was, I don't know how it worked, but there were really no clouds. Like it was so clear Mm. and he looked up and I could just see the majestic like light bulb go on and like, wow, God is super cool to create all this. And we talked about it that we, we got in the deer stand and we talked about it, but seeing him see the stars for the first time uh, was amazing. And I never talked to him about that story. And on my birthday, my wife made this big, nice meal. And she was like, Hey, let's all go around and tell a story about uh, your dad. Uh, you know, just some cool story. And that's the story that Trent told. So wow. like, that was a moment for me, but that was also obviously a moment for him that he remembered, even though he was super young. So that was cool. How in the world did we end up talking about that? Uh, we talked about the stars and uh, that moment in the hot tub with you. And, and, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I'm not too far off track. No, not at all. So after you, uh, you know, you become a Christian pretty young. And uh, you grow up with uh, some very strong Christian parents. You go off to college. Were there any uh, trials or any uh, challenges of faith when you left home? Or were you pretty well grounded and, and founded in faith? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because uh, I, this is a terrible setup. But my, I've got a friend at church who is, uh, he drives a forklift for his job, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome because he has a job. He keeps rubbing it in my face now. <laughs> that COVID is hit and so, but he broke both his arms in thanks during Thanksgiving, and so he can't he can't perform very well. Well, right before I got on this interview, I had a salad because if COVID ever does end and I can actually get back to touring, I want to be able to fit on the stage. So I'm trying <laughs> to get back into shape, and I bit my tongue, you know. And so he can't really drive the forklift because he broke both arms. Mm. Well, I talk for a living. I just bit my tongue. So I totally know how he feels now. <laughs> he totally relate. Um, so, yes, uh, got to college, uh, had really good friends. Uh, I tried to pick good friends, you know, that were going to be encouraging. Uh, so, no, I never really had that big. I think the first three weeks 
that I was out there in college by myself. I didn't go to church on Sunday mornings. I just slept in because I'd never missed church before. And, you know, uh, and it kind of made me feel like a rebel, you know, (laughs) and which is so funny because I would wake up and I would, I would feel bad and read my Bible for probably longer than I would have sat in church, you know, but, but yeah, I'm a man. I skipped church, you know? And then I was like, what am I doing? First of all, I love church. And then second of all, like, that's how you meet a lot of people in college Mm -hmm. is you go to church. And so uh, that was probably my biggest rebellion thing. Um, Yeah. I went to a Christian college. So obviously 80% of the people there were not Christian. So I don't know how (laughs) I was. That's not true. There is some truth. I mean, there are a lot that go there because mom and dad kind of pressure. They want them to be protected, even though they they don't know the Lord. And sometimes they become more of the influence than the Christians that are there. Yeah. We would actually talk about that because we would talk about missionary dating you know, mm-hmm. where like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to date her. And, and, and we, me and my friends, we would warn each other, like, mm, who's, who's influencing who here? You know, like who's, you know, <laughs> we realized that there's a, it, it, there's a lot of power in relationships. And so you got to be really careful and, and not do that. Like not mission, you know, missionary date. You know? Yeah. That's very, that's very dangerous because usually it's the one that's not saved that wins in the end because we just want to love them into heaven. Yeah. And let's be honest, man. Like, Dave, sin looks fun. Yes. Sin looks fun. It comes with a ton of consequences, but it looks fun. So, yeah, it's especially in college, it's real easy to just, you know, be like, well, I'm, you know, I want to relate to her. So I want to, you know, let's, so yeah, let's go to this bar. Let's go to, you know, I'm, I'm not using personal examples. I'm uh, sharing part of Tim Hawkins' testimony. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's not true. You got to put that, that. That's not true part in. I, I might cut that out and see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> After you graduate college, you, uh, you're hitting the road. You've got the degree in your back pocket, but you're, you're out uh, touring. And then your life just turns to where you're not teaching, but you're, you're using comedy uh, as your career and as a ministry. Uh, during your, your career, what was the, the biggest challenge as far as be making comedy your career? Uh, early on was getting people to listen to me because yeah. obviously I look back on it and be like, wow, God not only opened the door, he kind of kicked me through it because mm-hmm. I kept going, well, I'm going to do this tour, but then I'm going to go back and teach. And God was like, nope, you're, this, is, this is the path I have for you. And so he kept just putting me on these tours. And now that I know the business, I look back on it and I'm like, how in the world did I get invited to be on tour with all these big bands? Because nobody does that, first of all. And then second of all, they would pay me. And most opening acts, they pay to be on tour with the headliner. And so, you know, and I didn't get paid a lot, but, you know, at the time I didn't know the business. And so I was like, man, $50 a day, that's you know, how am I supposed to make a living like that? You know, and, and I was like, and then I talked to an opening band one time and they were like, uh, we're paying $800 a day to be out here. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, never mind. You know, like just like feeling real. So, uh, the, at first the hardest part was getting, I was on tour with a band called the Supertones and they played exclusively, I mean, not on purpose, but they, they drew 800 to 1200, uh, kids, like just, crazy wild kids 
most of the shows were in empty warehouses with no chairs so everybody could mosh around yeah. and they're all you know punk and ska and uh, you know, like just showing up and all the face piercings and, you know, eyebrows. it looked like it fell face first in a tackle box and, you know, spiky hair. And they'd all be like, you know, super tones, super tones. And they'd be like, well, first we have a guy who's going to come out and tell you some jokes. Please welcome little Bobby Smiley, you know, and I'd have to come out to all these just like grunge kids that were just so ready for the super tones. And I have to try to get them to listen to me for 10, 15 minutes, talk about my grandmother or, you know, whatever I was talking about at the time. And so that was really challenging. It's kind of how I did, like came up with my style mm-hmm. is just rapid fire. I tried to get on that tour. I tried to get to a punchline in 20 seconds because I knew after 40 seconds, if I didn't hit a punchline, I was going to lose that crowd. But if I came out and I had one big joke, then they might quiet down for a second. And if I could hit them with another one, another one, another one, then if I could do that for two minutes, then they would settle down and be like, oh, let's give this guy a chance and listen to me. So, yeah, I especially early on, I would just come out just guns ablaze and just, you know, boom, 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 you know. And now that you're raising five boys, that's become a handy uh, skill to, to talk to boys and get their attention. Yes, and you have to think quickly because you're up there just fighting for your life. And when you have five boys running around and one's on a hoverboard holding a bowl of, you know, macaroni and you're seeing he's about to spin out of control and the other one is, you know, asking if he could give the cat a bath and you're trying to say, we don't have a cat, you know, like you have all this stuff going on. It it does help to have a quick mind to be able to go, no, you can't do that. Put that down. Turn the batteries off. You know, like it's, (laughs) yeah, it definitely helps. And I, I don't want to dive in too much that you're not ready to share or want to talk about, but man, I, okay. I'm an open book. Okay. I, you can ask me anything. I'm totally fine with it. So the reason you have five boys is because you're in a blended family. Um, oh yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk about that. Okay. All right. No, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Yeah. I talk about it all the time. So yeah, we are a blended family. Um, I have three kids, uh, my wife, uh, which tomorrow I know this will air in January, mm-hmm. but tomorrow will be our two-year anniversary. Um, anniversary. Uh, thank you. I will, you know, I can't wait to see what you get us. Um, so <laughs> uh, she has two boys and I have three boys. Uh, and actually, I can tell this, but when I first talked to her on the phone, I was like, how many kids do you have? And because I was raising three boys by myself and mm-hmm. already it was crazy. And she was like, I have two, two boys. And I can't believe I said this, but I go, oh, and she goes, what? And I go, I don't know if I want more kids. And she (laughs) said, this is just a glimpse of how amazing this this woman is. She said, two more kids is two more opportunities to love and to be loved. And it's two more opportunities to show kids what a heavenly father's unconditional love looks like to an earthly father. More of the Gifts for Glory podcast in just a moment. Our host, Dave Ebert, is now accepting bookings for your next event. Dave specializes in improv coaching to improve self-esteem, team camaraderie, communication, 
creativity and developing your own unique voice. Improv is an amazing tool to learn how to listen actively, respond appropriately, and communicate more efficiently, all while having an absolute blast. For churches and ministries, ask about our Improv Your Witness workshop designed to get you out of your own way when sharing the gospel and your testimony. For information, contact booking at giftsforglory.com. Booking at gifts, the number four, glory.com. Booking at giftsforglory.com. We'll be back with more of this amazing conversation next on the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. So one time my dad was leading singing at this little church and I was sitting down front and he goes, on this next song, why don't we all stand to our feet? And I don't know why I did this, but I was like, yeah, everybody stand to your feet. Good thing he said that. I almost stood to my liver. <laughs> we never sang that song. He didn't say a word. He just shut the book. He walked right down. He picked me up. He carried me like a football outside. Yeah. And he's a Tony Romo fan. So he fumbled me several times. <laughs> Are we still okay? <laughs> but no, back to the real story. He really did. He picked me up and he carried me out. And I deserved it. I should never have ever smarted off to my parents. And, um, you know, but it was so embarrassing because it was right in front of my children. And, um, just a glimpse of how amazing this, this woman is. She said, two more kids is two more opportunities to love and to be loved. And it's two more opportunities to show kids what a heavenly father's unconditional love looks like to an earthly father. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. And then, yeah. well, then she said, how many kids do you have? And I said three and we got disconnected really quick. Um, <laughs> But I was able to get her back on the phone, and so we started, uh, you know, we started up dating, and here we are, about to celebrate two years. So, yeah, five kids. Sorry to cut you off, but, yeah, we do. We have five boys. And uh, for both of you, you guys, you uh, and Sarah both went through some pretty painful uh, divorces uh, that led to, uh, the blender family. And, uh, through that, I know that uh, you were still performing, you're still doing comedy. How did that trial of, you know, going through the divorce and, and the brokenness, how, how were you able to go get through that? Not smoothly, honestly, like it was, it was brutal. I don't, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, yeah. So I was married 18 years. Um, we had a huge fight cause I did not like her boyfriend. Um, mm. and she, um, yeah, she, we, you know, we were hanging out with this other couple at church. Uh, they were very wealthy and we were vacationing with them and just never saw it coming ever. Mm. And so there was a lot of things going on. One, two families were splitting up in our church, you know? And so church people, you know, like it was weird seeing church people, how they handled it. And honestly, the people that I thought were my closest friends just abandoned me. And mm -hmm. not only some of them abandoned me, but some of them were all of a sudden totally fine going out with the new couple, you know, the new wealthy couple that would take them out to eat. And, you know, and mm -hmm. they were, they were, you know, these people, these friends of mine that were supposed to be Christians were like totally okay with what was going on. And, you know, 
even though they were invested in our lives and our children's lives, they were like, oh, well, you know, people want to do what they want to do. And, you know, they, they were just totally. And so that was, so it was very disheartening. Like one of the lessons that I learned from that was you can't let your idea of Jesus be influenced by negativity that is coming through people that profess to live like Christ. Does that make sense? Right. Like a lot of people are like, well, I don't, I, Jesus is not for me because I went to church and those people were jerks. And I was like, well, yeah, they, they probably were jerks, but that's not Jesus. You know, right. and you can't let the, what church people, you know, what they do uh, negatively uh, affect your relationship with Christ. And, and I struggled with that because I, you know, even some of the church leaders that were adamant that nothing was going on. And then all of a sudden they got married and they were like, oh, well, I guess stuff was going on, but you know, yeah, let's love each other. And I was like, uh, is there accountability? You know, is there any kind of that going on? And so I had to deal with that. I had to deal with the boys, you know, all of a sudden, because, uh, and again, we used to vacation with these people. And so they, you know, my, all of a sudden my boys had to deal with all this anger and betrayal and uh, abandonment and all this stuff. And I was dealing with the same and I did not handle it well. Like I, I dropped like 42 pounds and I already was pretty thin, mm -hmm. but I was emaciated. Um, I wouldn't eat. I didn't sleep. I, you know, like I, I was destroying my body. Uh, but the whole time trying to get up and make lunches for the boys and tell, tell the boys like, Hey, you know, God's got us. We can do this. We can. But honestly, for a while, I, I knew it was the right thing to say. And looking back on it now, my wife says this, that you said the right thing until it really became the right thing. Because uh, I kept saying, you know, God's got us. God's going to get us through. And he did. But when I was saying that at the beginning, I honestly didn't believe it. Like, I did not believe it because I was like, I never had the floor just drop out from under me like that. Because yeah. like I said, grew up in a really loving Christian home, um, was kind of the funny kid at school. Uh, I know you're probably going to ask about this later, but yes, I still hold the scoring record in basketball at my high school for nice. 41 points against Prosper. Um, not that I'm still holding on to that, that glory day thing, but <laughs> I do call every year uh, to our principal, Miss Black, and make sure mm -hmm. that I still hold the record. But I had a really great life, you know, toured with some cool bands. My career was going well. And then all of a sudden, man, the world just burned down. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I did not handle it well. And, uh, you know, tried to, just tried to pour myself into the, my boys. Um, and then after, you know, kind of got better. The first couple of shows that I had to do was miserable because one, nobody knew. And, you know, I was still in hopes that they would come to their senses and, you know, not do what they were, you know, headed toward doing. And, but I would get on stage and I'd make people laugh. I remember the first time I was on stage, like, I think it was Indiana and everybody was laughing and I was miserable inside. And I stood there and while people were laughing and they gave me an applause break or they were clapping over a joke. And I remember thinking, how dare you laugh? Like, do you right. not know how much pain is going on in this world? Like, how can you, you know, which is just a messed up mentality because I was there to make them laugh. And they were probably going through their own stuff, which is why comedy is great. You want a, a release. You want to, you know, to get a, a ticket away from your problems for a little while. And so, uh, but it was tough, man. It was honestly, it was, it was a really, really dark time of, you know, trying to keep my career alive. Also worrying that churches would book me, you know, 
even though it wasn't my choice or, you know, anything, I, I didn't know if, you know, churches would bring in a divorced, you know, Christian comedian. And right. my, my DVD right before that is called Mullets on Fire. Mm-hmm. And a big portion of that was talking about how great it is to be married and all the funny little things about being married. And I talked a lot of stuff about my wife, like personally about my wife, but all in a positive way. Like it wasn't right. a negative. And so I had that out there. And now, yeah. you know, they were like, hey, do that bit about you text. I was like, no, I can't do that bit anymore. You're right. And Mullets on Fire, I've actually uh, seen that. It's on uh, Pure Flicks. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really funny. And, and it's kind of, it, it's a shame that you had so much positive stuff about your family right as it was about to crumble. But I, I remember the guy, the, the night I record that, the, the guy actually called me and was like, hey, man, just want to wish you the best. I filmed it in California. Just wish you best, man. Just rooting for you. And I always think about that phone call like, you snake. Like, you <laughs> knew what was going on. I was just so – but, you know, so we got through it. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was really tough. And then my kids wanted me to date, which is weird because, mm-hmm. you know, I was always faithful. I'm faithful in any relationship. Like, when I, when I hang out with my pastor, I don't look at other pastors. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I like wonder what his sermon's like. You know, I don't. I'm like dedicated. So it was just it was just weird all of a sudden being out there. But I also didn't want to be lonely and my kids were real encouraging about it, you know. And so yeah, it was just a it was a very weird time. How long after uh everything happened did you start looking at dating again? Uh it was about I wanna say maybe because see all that all that timeline stuff yeah. is so dark. Um, so I forget a, a lot of it, but I want to say about maybe eight months. Cause there was a long period of time where I held out that, you know, that I just kept thinking I'd wake up and, you know, like there, we'd just be back to everything being fine again. You know, like I just yeah. never thought that that would be, you know, there were, yeah, there, I just never thought you, people go through some midlife crisis stuff. And it really just can change them, you know. Yeah. Uh, they can lose a family member, uh, and it it can just rock their world. And if they don't get help processing that stuff, then they're capable of doing anything. And so, you know, I really should have saw some signs, you know, and just been like, hey, you know, are you okay? And all that. But, yeah, it's just uh, – it was, it was dark. So I, I want to say it's about maybe eight months um, before – you know, I, I was even looking and then it was even longer. They, my wife just reminded me that we were putting up Christmas lights and uh, with my bonus kids uh, outside Dylan and Mason. And we were talking about how we're coming up on our two year uh, anniversary. Well, I had a three year plan that I wasn't going to marry anybody uh, until I dated them for three years because I absolutely and that's just trust issues that, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm now all of a sudden have because of what I went through. but. I was like, a suit, you know, I'm going to meet somebody and I'm going to date him for three years before, before I even, you know, think of proposing and stuff. And of course I dated my wife like a year and we got married. So she, she was kind of rubbing that in my face that I had, I did have a three-year plan. But God has a different time, time frame than, than we do. And, and just hearing, and we haven't really even talked about it much or mentioned it, but you have a podcast with Sarah, uh, your wife, and it's, it's such a great show because, not because of anything technical or anything. It's just hearing two people who God has brought together 
and hearing them tell the stories of doing life. It's, and I think that's the greatest piece of Hook, Line, and Smiley is you just hear that, number one, there's hope, no matter, uh, because, you know, and Sarah's got her own story about her divorce and the things she went through. And then you had still being in the public eye, dealing with divorce, dealing with, uh, you know, brokenness and all these other different relationships. And just hearing how that, even despite that, God has brought two people together in such a way that they're helping each other complete the healing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I, I enjoy about Hook, Line, and Smiley. And I know that it it helps others. So what was the genesis? What got you guys decided to say, let's do a podcast together? We were having a romantic picnic out. Uh, again, I'm pretty frugal. And so mm-hmm. I have discovered that there's a, a place on this lake that's right across from our big pavilion where all the big you know name bands perform. And so we were, so I would take her out there if bands were playing that she liked because nobody's out at this little, this little park area, you mm-hmm. know, at night. But if you, if you sit at this one spot that I've found, the music bounces off and carries over the water. And so you can hear the concert like you're right there. Now, you can't see them, but you also don't have to pay $80 a ticket to go see them. (laughs) And so we were sitting out one night, and we were listening to, uh, I think it was Hootie and the Blowfish uh, were playing, and we were just listening, and we were talking about kind of some of the stuff, um, you know, and she's she's pretty open about this, so I can say this on here, but um, she lost a brother when she was was young, when she was Mm -hmm. in high school, um, and you know, that was very, very traumatic. Uh, and so she's been through that, uh, then the divorce and, you know, trying to be a single mom raising two kids. Uh, she, you know, she's been through a lot and, uh, we were kind of talking about that. You know, we talked about it a lot before, but, you know, we were just kind of just sharing stories and I was kind of talking, telling her some new stories that, you know, I'd kind of gone back and remembered to, about, you know, the single days of trying to take care of my kids and, you know, cause it did get like a frat house in our, in our <laughs> house. Like it, there was nothing that looked like a woman had ever lived there uh, whenever Sarah moved in. But so we were sitting there, we were, we were sitting on this picnic, uh, this blanket, having a picnic and she was cracking me up. Like she was making me laugh so hard. And then she turned it and was making a spiritual connection and just and, and basically was saying, you know, God's got us like we are each other's partner. We're, we're each other's person, mm-hmm. but only because God is the glue that has glued us together. And so as long as that glue is there, that's going to. And I was like, this is what people need to hear. Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, people need to hear your funny stories and stuff. But people also need to hear that. And she'd been talking about how people, you know, she felt like people don't get a real sense of who I am because they go and they see me on stage and they hear, you know, my funny stories and all that. And I do have, you know, some message and testimony stuff on, on stage, but they don't really get to know the inside behind the curtain me. And so she was like, you know, they, they need a Bob Smiley decaf, you know, like they, they get the full caffeinated version on stage, but you know, it'd be, so that's how we came up with the idea. We were like, let's, Let's start a podcast where, you know, we'll talk a little bit about my career and I'll tell funny stories and keep everybody updated on what crazy bits I'm writing or what's going on. Uh, and we'll have, you know, some of my friends on. I had Hawkins on uh, last week. I've had some of the newsboys on and uh, Shonda Pierce and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's just she and I, and we're just talking about the daily grind of blending a family, uh, trying to 
we were basically newlyweds. Like we're, we're a newly married couple, but with all the old baggage that, that old married couples have. Mm-hmm. And so we talk a lot about that. It is funny, but we really try to have a lot of encouragement and, you know, a lot of meat uh, to go on that plate. I've uh, listened to all as of we're recording of 50 episodes, uh, which included uh, this week with uh, lesser known comedian, uh, Tim Hawkins. Um, <laughs> like I said, it, it's two people who have been broken, who've been through brokenness that are putting the pieces together. But like you said, the glue is God. And uh, it's, uh, I, I think anybody that's been through any kind of traumatic experience can hear and feel the joy that you guys have, because there are times even on the podcast where it's like, you guys aren't in the best of moods. You guys are doing it because you want to keep the schedule and you could hear that there's still some of that married relationship, even though um, you guys love each other and there's joy, there's times where it's not perfect. You want to, you want to know a big secret? Sure. Anytime that I have a guest on the podcast, um, you may notice that Sarah's never there. It's usually because we're in a huge fight. So, like, people are like, oh, well, you, you know, you had Mac Powell from Third Day on. And I was like, yeah, that was one of the worst weeks of my life. Uh, Not because of Mac. I love Mac. But because we were were having a huge fight uh, that week. But that's real. That's reality, you know, is that, you know, that's something I, I found out is, you know, Couples fight. I didn't know that. And if you fight, that means you're still passionate. And yeah. so, you know, that's a, so when we fight, I have to remind myself, it helps that Sarah made a sign uh, that I can read, but it, you know, I need to remind myself that the fighting is okay because it means we're still passionate about each other. Um, so yeah, we, and, and there are times we go on the podcast and we're in a bad mood and, and we're, we're just like, all right, let's just, let's be real about it and talk about, you know, what we're doing and, then fans weigh in and that gets awkward because, you know, most of my fans are wrong because they side with Sarah and, yeah. you know, it's just like a ridiculous. Ironically, as soon as I'm done with this podcast, we're going to go, Sarah and I are going to go record uh, episode 51, which is going to be the last uh, podcast for, for this year. And again, I know this podcast will go out because evidently you don't edit as fast as I do, but no. <laughs> um, yeah, but we'll, we'll have 51 out which will, which is, you know, one every week with, we're going to encourage people to, you know, not listen the last week and just spend time with their family. Um, but that's what I'm getting ready to do. So you, you're kind of pregame up. I just realized, I hope that didn't hurt your feelings. No, I, I, I will be able to listen to 51 and be like, wow, I either helped or if 51's the worst ever, I'm like, uh, it's, it's Tinley Park all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I took all the energy out of the room. <laughs> And I highly encourage everyone to listen. Uh, you can um, also sponsor the podcast because Bob lives on uh, touring and he hasn't been able to do much of anything in 2020 because of the um, the pandemic. Uh, you can support uh, by uh, sending PayPal to Bob at bobsmiley.com or Venmo, uh, bob-smiley-3 or dash, however you want to spell it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, support Hook, Line, and Smiley. Check it out on all the major uh, platforms. Man, thank you for saying that because, you know, like I always feel weird about that. But honestly, uh, in March, all my shows canceled. Mm-hmm. And this is like, like you said, this is how I support my family. But it all canceled out and I didn't panic. And I, I think it really was because of what I've been through in the past and because of what Sarah's been through in the past. We didn't really panic because we knew things could get really bad. Yeah. And God would still get us through it. Uh, but it was, 
it was weird because I've never, I've never had a bad year financially at all. And all of a sudden I wasn't just going to have a bad year financially. I was going to have a no financial year. And I say that not, not to beg your 30 people to, you know, support us, but I say that because we decided we were going to ask people, you know, if they were enjoying the podcast to, to donate. And we thought we would maybe get 50 bucks, you know, or something like that. And it floated us for two months, like for two months, we would not have made our bills if it wasn't for people uh, doing that. And then the other thing really quick, I know you were trying to get rid of me, um, (laughs) but another cool thing that God did. So when my first CD came out, Focus on the Family got a copy of it and they like liked it. And this guy named Jesse, uh, he messaged me and he's the editor of Clubhouse Magazine, which is their junior high magazine. Uh, it's called Clubhouse Magazine with Focus on the Family. And he was like, hey, will you write a funny article about going back to school? And when I was a kid, I got the worst haircut in the world. The guy basically put, uh, it used to be called a Floby, uh, mm-hmm. but it was a haircut like clippers with a vacuum cleaner cut. Well, he had made his own. And oh, so no. I went in and I was like, hey, I, I like to part it here and I like to fold over, but I like it a little above my eyes. And I guess what he heard was like, he wants to keep the skin on his head because that was it. Like you just, it was horrible. So I wrote an article about that, but I thought of a cell phone joke mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I can't put a cell phone joke in if it's me. Mm-hmm. And so I decided for that article just to create a character. And so I called him average boy just cause I thought, yeah, he's just the average boy. And so I wrote this article, they put it out. They got a ton of mail from kids saying, Hey, can that average boy write something? And so, I've been writing that for, man, probably about 18, 19 years, every month in Clubhouse Magazine. And then they had me write two comedy devotional books for middle school kids as Average Boy. The reason why I'm telling you all this, I love how to look back and see how God takes care of us. Mm-hmm. So people listening to our podcast supported us for a couple months. Well, in December, before COVID was even a word, Focus on the family said, you know, hey, your books are doing well. We're probably thinking about doing a third book. uh, But have you ever thought of doing an average boy podcast where you actually, you know, write the scripts and you do the voice of average boy? And Jesse became my editor. And Jesse's the best editor in the world. Like, I'll never do a project without him. And uh, so Jesse is the voice as the adult. And then I'm average boy. And so I wrote some scripts and they were like, you know, we, we, we don't have a budget for it. But it was in December of last year. And so, and they were like, it's going to be for families. We're going to keep it short. It's going to be like an 18 to 20 minute podcast. We want it to be just like your books, funny, and then a uh, spiritual message, and then, you know, some scripture and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, cool. No, no problem. So I did it for free. We did, I think maybe eight and they just put it out there to see if there was interest. And it did super well. It actually kind of competed with their Adventures in Odyssey podcast. Yeah, we were floored. And so all of a sudden, families are listening to this. And so I tell you that because in March, when everything canceled, Focus on the Family was like, this podcast is doing well. Like, we want to keep it going. And so we've budgeted for it. And so they paid me to write the scripts, do the, you know, voice acting, and put out these podcasts. So we, we're going to finish up in January, but by, by this February, 2021, uh, we'll have 52 podcasts for families to listen to as average boy. But that then floated us again. Mm-hmm. 
I, we don't know where money's coming from. Yeah. And all of a sudden during like September and, and October and stuff, here's some money, here's some money to, you know, to help pay our bills. And then uh, in November, I got the third book deal for average boy, which I'm working on now. I actually, this morning, you're kind of in the middle of all these mile markers. This is our last mm. hook, line and smiley podcast. And then this morning I, I finished the 15th chapter of the 30 chapter book. So I'm halfway done with the third average boy book. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. And I just love hearing that, that God's faithfulness is showing. And because anybody that's seen you, they, they, they know that, that you just come across as this genuine, decent guy, which either means you're a heck of an actor, maybe that uh, <laughs> should be another career. Or I think it's yeah. that everyone that knows you or that, that has followed your career sees the genuineness of who you are. And it's really great to see how God is redeeming the the lost time, the the hurt, and now seeing you and Sarah together, seeing things, even despite the pandemic, working out for you. So it's it's a great story. It's a great story of God's faithfulness, and and it, it's it blesses people to see God bless somebody that's that's blessed so many others. Mm. Well said, man. Well said. And, and I didn't even write that for you to say it. <laughs> So there are two segments that I wrap up every interview with. Um, one's called the interrogation. Uh, it's seven quick questions that otherwise wouldn't have fit in the interview. And then the, uh, the last one is uh, your wise counsel for anybody that wants to use their gifts for God's glory. Okay. So, so for the first question of the interrogation, what movies can you watch multiple times a year without getting tired of them? Uh, <laughs> Christian movies? <laughs> No, it, anything goes. Here's the problem. We have a DVD player called Clearplay that cuts out all the bad stuff. Okay. So I'm going to say these movies, but I don't recommend that you watch these movies <laughs> because there is stuff in it. But Airplane, I yes. can watch Airplane every single day. Um, I can watch Monty Python's Holy Grail. Um, there's a movie called Top Secret. These are all comedies. Yes. Um, I am a huge Charlie Chaplin fan. And Robert Downey Jr. in the movie Chaplin was spot on. It was, I think, Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance ever. The problem is Charlie Chaplin was a bit of a womanizer. Mm. Um, you know, he had four wives. And um, so there's a lot, there is some nudity in that movie. Um, I didn't know that because I've been watching it on our Clearplay <laughs> device. And then I put it in when, or no, it, it was on Netflix for a little while. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's watch this, boys. And so we sat down and I put it on. And I was like, no, I had to turn it off. Um, <laughs> but it's a great movie. It's such a good movie if you, you know, find a way to, to get around that. But, um, yeah, so that's – how many did you ask for? Uh, however many uh, that uh, you can think of that um, – And then, I mean, this is everybody's answer, but probably Mullets on Fire or Breaking Bob. Yeah, those are excellent. And you don't need a, a clear play DVD player for those. No, you don't. <laughs> All right. Question number two. What's a habit that you have that Sarah picks on you about? I eat with my hands and did not realize it. And uh, at any point, actually, they're pretty clean right now. But she said at any point that I could never go hungry because there's always food on my hands. <laughs> so that, that really drives her insane. Well, so just you say that you're just trying to save on water so there's fewer dishes to wash. Yeah, that's, that's right. Although I wash the dishes, so that is that does make work. sense, actually. <laughs> All right, question number three. Uh, do you have a bit that you love, but audiences don't always respond to? Um, I've got, one of my f famous bits now uh, is called Church Child Care. 
and it's about dropping your kid off at church uh, and having them watch your kid. And uh, I did that bit for like three years and couldn't get it to work. Mm. And I loved that bit. And I just, and I finally gave up on it. And then maybe I can't remember now, but maybe a year later, I'm sitting in church and a number pops up on the video screen, which means that somebody's kid is being bad and you're supposed to go get it. <clears throat> and I was like, Oh, I had a bit about that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring that back and just see. So I tweaked it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And just by like changing two jokes, just two lines in it, all of a sudden the bit snapped and went great. But man, for a long time, I could not get that bit to work, but it was one of my favorites. Nice. Uh, what's a uh, scripture that's challenged you or that's uh, changed your uh, mindset? John 3.30 is my favorite one. Um, John the Baptist was kind of the big popular dude. Everybody was going to him to get baptized. And then Jesus shows up, which John was telling everybody he was going to show up. Mm -hmm. And John's disciples got really jealous and came to John and was like, uh, we're the popular ones. Why is everybody going over to Jesus and his disciples? And John first said, Hey, I, I told you I was not him. I told you I, I, I was sent to prepare a place. And then John three 30, I think it's John three 30. You might want to check me on this, but it says, uh, John said this, he said, uh, he must become, he must become greater. I must become less. So he basically was saying, hey, I was sent to prepare the place and I was the big dog. But now that Jesus is here, I need to be less and he needs to be greater. And that's my favorite scripture because that's how we should live our life. Like every day we should wake up and say, Jesus, you need to be a little greater and I need to be a little less, a little less of myself, a little more of you, a couple cups of coffee. and We'll have a good day. Yeah, exactly. And you got it right on John uh, 3.30. Yeah, I, I, I read it all the time. I don't know why when I said it out loud, it sounded weird. But yeah, I figured it was John 3.30. I do that scripture all the time. I'll, I'll have a favorite or something on my mind, and I'll say it. And I'm like, wait, did I get that right? And yeah. I, I have a, a credential in ministry, and it's like I have like a double responsibility to get it right. So it's like, yeah. no. Um, all right, so uh, question number five. What's something you wish you could do over in life? Man, if I could go back and be on the Newsboys tour, the first one, I've toured with them four times, I think. If I could go back to that Take Me to Your Leader tour with the comedy knowledge that I have now, but just young, energetic, man, I would have so much more enjoyed it. If I would have, if I would have just known, hey, calm down and enjoy the ride because you're, you're going you're gonna to make it. You're going to be okay. But I was so preoccupied with, should I even be trying this? Should I, you know, what, what am I doing? Am I throwing away a couple of years I could be teaching or what, you know, uh, and, and am I funny enough? And, you know, do the newsboys like me and all it, like, I was just so insecure and I'd like to go back and redo that just be, to be like, man, just enjoy it. You got invited by like one of the best bands in the world to tour with them because they thought you were funny and they liked your work ethic and how hard, you know, you worked and stuff. And, you know, so you kind of earned your right, but at the time I didn't feel like it. So I'd like to go back and redo that. Okay. When was the moment that you knew I've made it? I'm a professional comedian. Lafayette, Louisiana is about three years into doing comedy. And I had my set hour. I'd worked up to a full hour and I felt like it was a good hour. And I'm maybe 20 minutes in and some lady shouts something out and it doesn't even phase me. And 
I, I do a lot. Like I say something back to her. She heckles me and I, I say something back and then it makes me think of something. So I say a couple more jokes that I'm writing in my head. And then while they're laughing, I'm just kind of enjoying it. And I look around and I see some stuff on the back of the stage. And so I start making some jokes about that. And then that, that was the moment I was like, oh, I, I'm in control of this room. Like I, I have these people's attention and I can take them on any ride I want to take them on. And so I started moving my bits around because I used to go up and this was my hour and I never veered from it because I'm not really a comedian. You know, this is the order. We don't change it around. And the rest of the night, like I was changing bits around. I was ad-libbing. I was talking about, you know, random stuff. And I walked off stage and I was like, okay, those comedy police are not going to come get me because I'm actually a comedian. Like I remember feeling like, okay, I've, I've got this. Nice. So final question is if time and money were no object, book your dream show with you and three other acts and where would it be? Ooh. Oh man. Any acts from any, any era, any time. I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. So I would have to say Bob Dylan. If I could, you know, have him open for me, obviously. Yeah. Um, 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 man, I'd say Bob Dylan and and really Tim Hawkins. Like, I don't want him to hear this, and he probably won't. But he he's not only the best comedian; he is the best guitar player I've ever seen. And so, his he could do a whole tour of just songs, mm. and it would be rocking. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've done one of those. I've toured with Tim forever, and. Um, so I feel like it's a cop out. So if Tim didn't want to do it, then, uh, probably Tom Petty. Okay. Close second. I know everybody says Tim or Tom Petty, but yeah. Well, and the the amazing thing is that part of Tim's act includes some Bob Dylan stuff. So Mm -hmm. it will be kind of cool to see him do Bob Dylan to Bob Dylan. Yeah. He's a, he knows I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. And so he, yeah, he tried, he actually had written some songs where it really wasn't supposed to be Dylan. And then he changed it just for that because, you know, he knew. And then it worked. And so he, uh, he incorporated that. And, um, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's got some – and he's got uh, some Tom Petty stuff, too, that he does as well. So, yeah. So, really, all I need is Hawkins. And I can get both of those guys, you know, their, their spirit in the room then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, so the final, final question is, for anybody that either wants to venture into comedy, podcasting, or, or writing, since you're writing Average Boy, uh, what would your wise counsel be for them in using their gifts for God's glory? Yeah, don't do it. Um, there's already enough competition out there. So, yeah, go be a teacher. You know, do something noble. Um, <laughs> no, if I, if I have to give advice uh, – is right every day. That's the hardest part. Even if you don't feel funny, even if you don't feel inspired, sit down at your desk at least 15 minutes a day, stare at a blank page, stare at a blank cursor, you know, and just try to write. Because the hardest part about writing is sitting down and starting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's so many times where I'll sit down and write and I don't feel funny. And I did this, Chapter uh, chapter eleven of the new Average Boy book, I, I I'd finished this story arc and I was like, okay, I don't really, I know I'm going to write about Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I don't really have anything to fit right in here. 
And I was like, and so I just started riding. Average boy got on his bike, you know, just to start something. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even end up using that opening sentence, but just starting it, I finally got this real, and so far it's my favorite chapter of the book, but I didn't feel inspired, didn't feel like writing, but I sat down and just started writing. So that's my advice to people. And it's very interesting that uh, you actually, uh, your favorite chapter was chapter 11, which very few people this year are really enjoying. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to probably enjoy that soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we hope not. But uh, uh, Bob, it's it's been an honor and a pleasure to, to spend some time with you. Uh, and uh, I know that I joined thousands and maybe millions of people praying that uh, that things open up and that we get to see you out on stage, a real stage, not a virtual stage very soon. And uh, we wish you and Sarah all the best with the podcast and, and uh, happy as this goes out belated anniversary. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, Dave. Are you looking for a speaker for your next event? A guest pastor to fill in and give your staff a break? A moving testimony to share the hope found in Christ alone? For this and more, our host Dave Ebert is now taking bookings to share his testimony, his love of laughter, and the joy of the Lord with your audience. For information, contact booking at giftsforglory.com. Booking at gifts, the number four, glory.com. Booking at giftsforglory.com. Xfinity is breaking the gig barrier with Wi-Fi speeds over a gig. It's more than enough speed to power all your devices. Introducing gig Wi-Fi, new from Xfinity. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh... The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.